Okay. All right, we're live. And how do you shut this thing off when we're so done? Did you have your flags at half mast uh, yesterday for Rosh? Um, Jeff, if you show me, I can, I can show you the, the button there. Uh, there should be a button there. Okay, that'll help if I get my... There we go. Uh, show me a little lower. Oh, the arm is hiding, I think. The oh, there's, there's the three buttons on the bottom. Yeah, click, click on that. What does that reveal? Nothing. see what I'm doing right now. All right, let's not worry about it. When we're done, I'll just All shut right. it off. Because um, we, we got people on, we're live, so we yeah, might as well get started. What? Okay. See ya. Okay, we're live. I, we didn't have any uh, waiting to start up today because the system is not working. So uh, hang on a second here, and let me get that right. And okay, we're gonna get started. You go ahead and read in. Matic, like a pickaxe, food, cut, nourish. Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this, your promise preserves my life. The arrogant mock me without restraint, but I do not turn from your law. I remember your ancient laws, O Lord, and I find comfort in them. Indignation grips me because of the wicked who have forsaken your law. Your decrees are the theme of my song, wherever I lodge. In the night, I remember your name, O Lord, and I will keep your law. This has been my practice. I obey your precepts. Okay, good stuff. Um, the system failed. It's it's done. And so uh, we've got a uh, backup system that a uh, person sent us uh, just a couple months ago. And that uh, we just need two cables for it. I ran over to the store about 10 minutes ago, and they did not have them, so I've got to go somewhere else tomorrow. So tonight we're on the, li the iPad. And uh, I see you, if you're uh, sending, uh, what do you call it, um, chat. texts or chat or whatever, I see you. So it's nice to see. Um, let's see here. We got some prayer requests. And uh, let's see here. We got uh, Ricky's friend, William Thornton, has been diagnosed with COPD, and he also suffers from PTSD from Desert Storm. And now he's homeless and in very bad health, also asking for prayers for another friend whose brother died in a bad accident. And then um, Brent has prostate cancer, uh, going to monitor it at this point. And uh, his son's fi fiance is actually a, this is kind of tough to read. Uh, they're going through this prostate cancer and then his uh, son's fiance, they just found out is a transgender. Uh, and he knew this, but he didn't tell his family. Uh, the other son wants to start dressing like a woman, emulating his brother, and we only have these two kids, and we detest and are trying to figure out what we did wrong. And the fact is that the world is just wrong, but they're asking for prayers for this because they're really in distress over it. Um, Jim Urich, his wife needs surgery, a heart valve replacement, and after that she has to go in for a mastectomy cancer. That's Laura is her name. And then Anita emailed and she said uh, she's having trouble in her marriage and she may have to bring up her child alone. And um, she uh, is jobless and she's depending on her parents for raising her daughter and she's distraught about it because she wants to work. She's not been able to get any and so it's causing her a, a lot of distress and uh, she's asking for prayers for a daughter that she grows up as a child of God. So these are some difficult issues tonight, but uh, uh, 
we'll just uh, raise them up in prayer. And I know there are others, but we're a little disorganized here today because of what happened with the uh, system. And we've just been running around trying to get this for the past couple hours. And, and it just has not been able to get hooked up yet. And so hopefully that'll be done by Sunday. If not, we'll be back on the iPad again. And then um, uh, just a note from me for anybody that watches the Bible study that may not have watched the Sunday service is uh, we have a Siesta Key Sunrise channel. It's a live stream channel. And uh, in order to keep that channel and to have, you know, the ability to embed the video and things like that, you need to have 1,000 subscribers. And we're up to, when I left uh, uh, the house, it was at 839. So we still need 170 subscribers. So if you uh, have not subscribed to the Siesta Key Sunrise channel, if you can't find it, send me an email and I will send you the link and uh, you just hit subscribe. That's all you need to do. You'll never be obligated to anything, uh, but that will allow it to continue on YouTube without any interruption. As long as you have over a thousand subscribers, then you're good to go with that. So I'd appreciate that. And then we'll read this day in Christian history and then we'll have a Jordan, prayer. Yes. I hit that subscribe and it asked me all kind of questions. I don't know why. I have no idea. It's supposed to be just you hit subscribe and that's it. So I don't know why they did that. I have no idea. I've never heard of such a thing. You're um, famous. 20, yeah, you're prob it's probably that you don't subscribe to a lot of things or something, and they're trying to figure out a profile for you or something. And are we going to have pizza today? We I'm are not like going to have pizza today. I'm sorry. You missed your pizza. All right. So today is the um, – anybody know what day it is? It's a 19th? 18. 18th. Today is 18 February. We'll read this, and we'll get into the class. He wrote a classical devotional literature. For a century after it was first published, one of one book's popularity was exceeded only by that of the Bible. Yes, its author was a tinker, a mender of pots and pans, who was the country tinker whose story continues to inspire generation after generation. Anybody know? Yeah, that's absolutely right. When John Bunyan was 16, his mother and sister died within a three-month span, and his father remarried. Unable to deal with the upheaval, he began acting out in what he would later term wild and willful ways. Bunyan owned no books before he was married, but his wife's dowry consisted of two Puritan books. <clears throat> Although she was a Christian, Bunyan was an unbeliever. One Sunday afternoon with his friends on the village green, Bunyan heard a voice from heaven ask, Wilt thou leave thy sins and go to heaven, or keep thy sins and go to hell? Bunyan looked up to heaven, and it was as if I had, he said, seen the Lord Jesus looking down upon me. Bunyan became severely depressed as a result of the vision, feeling he might as well be condemned for many sins as few. He spent the next month indulging in selfish pursuit. Then his feelings shifted and he pursued righteousness with equal vigor. Our neighbors, he wrote, did take me to be a very godly man, a new and religious man, and indeed it was, yet I knew not Christ, nor grace, nor faith, nor hope. Working as a tinker, Bunyan often overheard a group of women discussing the Bible. He later wrote, I thought they spoke as if joy did make them speak. They were to me as if they had found a new world, irresistibly drawn by their conversions. One day he marveled at a very great softness and tenderness of heart, which caused me to fall under the conviction of what by scripture they asserted. Shortly thereafter, he put his trust in the Lord Jesus as his savior. Bunyan's path after his conversion, however, was neither smooth nor straight. He struggled with assurance of salvation, his daughter's blindness, poverty, um, his wife's death, and his desire to preach the gospel when it was forbidden by law. In 1660, remarried and the father of six, John Bunyan was 
imprisoned for preaching in public without a license. He had been unable to get a license because he had little education and disagreed with the Church of England. Intermittently, in and out of prison for 12 years, he made shoelaces in his cell to support his family and spent many hours writing. His manuscript began, As I was walking in the wilderness of this world, I dreamed, and behold, I saw a man clothed with rags, a book in his hand, and a great burden upon his back. I looked and saw him open the book and read therein, and as he read, he wept and trembled and broke out with a lamentable cry, saying, What shall I do to be saved? The manuscript entitled Pilgrim's Progress told the story of Pilgrim's quest to answer that question. First licensed for print on February 18, 1678, Pilgrim's Progress is the best known of the 58 books Bunyan wrote. It remains in print 300 years later and has been translated into more than 200 languages. Bunyan died 10 years later. In the words of Pilgrim's Progress, now at the end of this valley was another called the Valley of the Shadow of Death, and Christian must needs go through it because the way to the celestial city lay in the midst of it. And they asked John Bunyan would probably be considered a most unlikely person to write a devotional classic. How do you think he was able to do it? Has God ever enabled you to do something beyond your abilities? God has the power to stretch any of us beyond what we think we can do. And Philippians 4.13 says, I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me the strength I need. Good stuff there. Tell us about your shirt. Uh, shirt. This came from my friend Mark years ago, and it's a guy blowing a shofar. So there you go. That's the shirt. Maranatha Mark. Uh, which, he, speaking about Mark, yeah, he's going to have to email me because I, as of today, I deleted Facebook. I had to wait an extra day because if you want to download all your information, they create a file. And so I did that today, and then I immediately went, boop, and that's gone. So Facebook yeah. is no longer a part of my life. Best, Best day of my life. <laughs> Okay, let's see here. We are in the book of Galatians. Just about to wrap it up. I'm just about to wrap it up. We're in uh, Galatians 6, verse 10. And today, I'm going to shut us off a little bit early today because of the way things are going. And, uh, you know, I want to make sure everything is fine when I get home. I don't know if I'm going to have to edit anything or do whatever. And so uh, we'll probably close just in an hour um, uh, instead of closing at 6.30. And that way, it'll just be less stressed although sunday it went pretty well because the recording device did work the difference is that we don't have a microphone except on the the here the microphone is on the camera back there and so it's going to be very uh bad quality sound if the stream for some reason fails or whatever so we'll just have to wait and see but yeah it's in the lord's hands he's got to figure it out and if not i can always come back in here and record the class all by myself there. which is boring and i have to live with me so that's who wants that but Okay. I want to back it up to six. Back it up to six. Anyone who receives instructions in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that, that, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from that spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. There we go. Therefore, 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Okay, this one says the household of faith, but it's basically the same other than that. Family of believers and household of faith. Let's see here, 610. I 
feel completely off. You know, it, it's hard to readjust for me. I'm not good at adjustment. Tomorrow I'm gonna wanna click on the Facebook. I click on it. I do exactly the same thing at exactly the same time every day of You'll my life. Some, uh, it's gonna morning. be, oh, it's just It'll gonna be, be bizarre. Period, I'm, I don't have to do this, I don't do that, and et cetera. It's just gonna be tough. But even having the iPad in a different location, I feel completely off. Okay, let's see here. And Hitako is not here yet, so she's gonna get, um, She's going to get chastised, verbally chastised when she walks through the door. Let's see here. Therefore, the word therefore is stated for us to think on what has been presented. Oh, wait, we, we didn't open in prayer. We did not. Heavenly Father, we certainly want to pray for those people that were mentioned just now on that particular list. And there are other people that have emailed over the week, certainly, that have their own prayers. And there's the online prayer request uh, uh, that Lisa takes care of, and uh, a lot of those have been sent to me over the week, and so certainly we want to pray for everybody that's there, and anybody else that has their unspoken prayer needs, that uh, they are just trusting in you, and we would ask that you would search them out, and search us out, and find out what's lacking in our lives, so that we can be full and complete in you, without anything hindering our walk with you, and Lord, we certainly pray these things, that uh, these people will be uh, blessed, that will be built up, and they will, if you leave them in their affliction, that they will understand why they have it and that they will use it to your glory instead of uh, worrying about things that we cannot change, that we would take the opportunity to use them to your glory and to uh, bringing others even to a right relationship with Jesus, if it's possible. And Lord, we love you. You are so good to us. We pray for this class and that it would be properly handled. But if anything is said that's incorrect, that that would be brought up so that we would know that. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we do exalt you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Bandana goes back on, and let's see here. Um, okay, yes, 610. Therefore, it's stated for us to think on what has been presented, and Paul has been speaking of sharing the good news and not wearing while doing so. And to sum this thought up, he adds in that, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. Not only should we share in all good things, and not only should we not weary in doing good, but we are admonished to do so to all. This then includes Jew and Gentile, it includes men and women, and it also includes the otherwise unlovable. We are asked to use our fruit of the Spirit in a manner which will be evident to any and all around us. But Paul next places an extra stress on especially to those who are of the household of faith. Those are the believers in Christ who are to be given an extra attention in our efforts of doing good. We're gonna see something very similar to that in our sermon on Sunday where certain things are levied upon Israelites that are not levied upon the people in general and there's a reason for it. In the household of faith, obviously, it's because they're believers and we want them to be built up and not feel rejected or, or whatever we're ignoring in their lives. And uh, so he, uh, those who are Believers in Christ are to be given an extra attention in our efforts of doing good. When they are in need, we're to open our hand and provide them a blessing. And when they are sick, we should come and comfort them. When they are in grief, we should mourn with them, and we should be willing to go an extra step in carrying the burdens of our fellows in Christ because they are our eternal family members. We are united in the household of faith by the work of Christ. And so there you go with that, a very short commentary, but life application, it's not always easy to find a loving attitude towards some of our fellow Christians. I'll be the first to admit that. <laughs> All right. However, we have been called to share ourselves with them to the greatest extent possible. 
let us endeavor to fulfill the words of admonition given to us by the hand of Paul in order that we will be pleasing to God who inspired his words to us. And um, so uh, having said that, we, uh, uh, yeah, I'll say it. I'm kind of stressing whether I should say this or not, but uh, maybe other people, if they're still on Facebook or if they were on Facebook at one time or another, I found the most difficult people to deal with that I ended up defriending were normally Christians. The other people I didn't have that attitude towards, but there are some people that are Christians that were so belligerent that finally I said, I just can't, I can't, I'm losing sleep over these people. They're, they just are arrogant. They, has anybody else had that same thing happen to them? Yeah, okay, I see lots of heads nodding. And it, it's, you know, you wanna be good to people, you wanna treat them properly, and some people are just abusive. And you say, well, they're a Christian, I need to do my best to try to deal with this. You know the number one reason missionaries leave the mission field? Oh, it's because of other Christians. She's uh, Somebody just said the number one reason why missionaries will often leave the mission field is because, well, there is the truth, and it was for years, and I don't know what it is right now, what the numbers are because of COVID-19, but uh, uh, the average number of pastors that leave the pulpit every single week is, anybody? It's about 600, yeah, about 600 uh, pastors a week step down and you say well that sounds like a lot how's that possible you got to figure there are, there are seminaries all over america and they're graduating people every year by the thousands and they're finding jobs and the reason why pastors leave i would say the biggest reason is not because they're old it's not because they're it's because of the people burning them out it's debilitating at times and you want to be good to people you want to not uh, fight with people you want to help people and it's 600 people a week i'm sure every one of them has their own story that they could tell you and uh so uh but that's what we're called to do and so despite the fact that and i'm not complaining here i love what i do 100 percent. i'm just saying that these so we are have facts. to step it up then is what yeah you got to step it up you got to start abusing me a little bit more but um uh I, i'm perfectly content and i have a sermon coming up where uh i do say that uh, there's absolutely nothing in this world that i'd rather be doing Nothing. I talk about why, and uh, you know, one of my hopes concerning the uh, the uh, sermons I type. But other than that, uh, uh, I absolutely love what I do. And plus, I get to you know, I got these part-time jobs, so they keep me busy. Some days I go out, and I've been cutting out a, a piece of property behind the mall I take care of. I've been clearing it of pepper trees. If you guys know what pepper trees are, if you're not from Florida, you don't know, but they are unbelievably. They're the most twisted, disgusting trees on the planet. There's no easy way of cutting them. They wrap around other things, and you, if you cut a branch, it can come back and smack you in the face without even realizing that it was in that type of a position. And people and, are allergic to it. Oh, and you can get very allergic to it. You never want to burn it as firewood because you'll just be completely burnt. You'll be used up, but I'm clearing the entire property, <coughs> and this job that I'm doing, if it was contracted, that would be tens of thousands of dollars. And I'll probably, by the time I'm done, get paid about 300 bucks for it because you know, yeah, I get paid by the hour at that particular job. But I love it and it keeps me going and I wouldn't be doing it otherwise. In other words, I, you know, so this is, it's included in the work that I do every week anyway. And he just said, if you want to clear it out, and I was salivating, I was literally salivating. Oh, I'd love to do it. So I am going to do one thing though. I've got everything cut, it's all in piles. And what I've been doing is I've been bundling it up and taking a truckload of piles home every week.
for the waste management. I'm not going to do that anymore. I got so much that I'm going to tell them, you're going to have to just knuckle down and you're going to have to get a 30-yard dumpster and we'll fill that baby up and right. we'll get rid of it. Because uh, as you're getting towards the bottom of the trees, they get bigger and bigger and I'm not carrying that stuff home. So and I got a couple of uh, uh, pine trees that need to be trimmed and some of the branches are this big and you know how dense that wood is. So I'm just not going to bother with it. But that makes great firewood. If anybody here has a fireplace and they want the best firewood in Florida, let me know and I'll give you that. So anyway, um, uh, life application. It is not always easy to find a loving attitude towards some of our fellow Christians. No, I've already read that. I've read the life application, so we're going to go on. 611. Right, wait, wait, wait. Oh, wait. Burke's got something he wants to know. <clears throat> no, no, no. Verse 9 and verse 10 has the lettuce in it again. Okay, verse 9 and verse 10. Uh, hang on. And, us, yeah, and let us not grow weary, and let, then let, let us, us do good. Okay, it's, it's a double application, but that, that's always before you get to the meat. You know, that's, the lettuce. Burke, is, he's making a joke here. He said it has the lettuce verses. So you <laughs> eat the lettuce, and then you get to the meat. Well, so, Paul does this a whole oh, lot. Oh, I understand. I, I completely understand. So you're right about that. Yeah. I just I never made that connection, but let us, yeah. and then let and, us. And that and then, shows you free will also. That's right. 100%. Anybody, you know, it, he brought up a good point here is that Burke said, I don't know if you can hear him or not, but he said that this brings up the doctrine of free will. Now, obviously, Calvinists, they will say that you don't have free will in order to be saved. Okay. Right. You were regenerated in order to believe. You believe you're born again, and then you, uh, or I'm sorry, you're born again in the regeneration. That's being born again. And then you believe, and then you're saved. The being born again allows you to believe, which is nonsense. The Bible doesn't speak about that. But what they will say is after that point, you have free will. You had free will in all the negative decisions you've made in your life. And then you have free will in everything you do after salvation. But they will say you have no free will in your salvation. And that is malarkey. That is absolutely malarkey. The Bible never teaches being regenerated in order to be saved or any of that nonsense. This is entirely a process of free will. From Genesis 3 all the way until Revelation 22, everything about your relationship with God is based on free will. Even Paul, who had the light shine on him, said that he could have been disobedient to the word that he heard. And I know that's a misquote, but that's what he says. And, I wasn't disobedient. Uh, I, yeah, I wasn't disobedient, he says, which means he could have said, I am not following this vision. So anybody that gets into Calvinism with you, I, uh, what I would recommend you do, don't argue with people over that kind of nonsense. Just give them doctrine once, give them doctrine a second time, and then have nothing to do with them, as the Bible says to do with people that want to talk about things that are just not scriptural. And I don't, you know, it, it's just one of those things that it's, it's not good doctrine, and it also leads people down very bad paths in their walk with the Lord. So don't believe that, but you're right. It does show that we have free will, but Calvinists will say, yes, you have free will after salvation. You have free will all the time. Every decision you make in your life, good or bad, is going to be up to you. The Lord is not here to force himself upon people. So here we go with uh, 611. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand? Okay, Let's see with... Well, yeah, same thing. Okay, um, let's see here. This single verse is one which involves the highest of speculation by scholars as to what Paul means. Some see it as a confirmation that he wrote the entire epistle with his own hand, something that can be confirmed by the large size of the handwriting he uses. It could also refer to the important nature of the letter. In essence, it's like putting a lot of exclamation points. See how great of an epistle I have written you with my own hand. 
It would mean that he took the time to write the entire letter himself to show how he concerned how concerned he was over the issue. Instead of having a scribe write it, he wrote the whole thing himself. And that wouldn't surprise me at all because there's a lot of passion in here in this epistle. It just carries over naturally, but that's another option that people give. The aorist tense that he uses here could refer to the entire letter or to just the final verses. If the final verses only, then he had a scribe write the letter, okay, which he does at other times. Uh, anybody remember the name of the scribe in the book of uh, Romans? No. Anybody? I'm going to say... No, definitely not. I am going to say that it's Tertius. I could be wrong. But uh, we're going to go there just because it came to mind and I wanted to give somebody a Maserati tonight and uh, it looks like nobody's getting one. But it's uh, Romans 16, I think. Um, where are we? And then if you see it, just let me know. Uh, um, now I urge you, it's, uh, Timothy, my fellow work. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle. Yes, verse uh, 1622. So I get to drive a Maserati home tonight. Um, I greet you in this epistle. I greet you in the Lord. Okay, anyway, um, so there you go with that. But uh, so he does use the scribe at times to have his epistles written and so people are just debating over this what does he mean by see what i'm writing with my large letters okay the aorist tense he uses means it could be the entire letter or just the final verses if the final verses then he had a scribe like tertius write his letter after this in order to authenticate it he begins this final greeting in his own hand okay it can mean that as well so Further, the tense of the verb, regardless as to whether he is referring to the whole letter or just the final verses, Paul may uh, it may be Paul's way of inserting self, himself into the reader's position as the letter is being read. In essence, see with what large letters I am right now writing to you. In this, he would be making the letter active at the moment it is being read. So scholars are debating these things, which is right, which is wrong, and in the end, you really can't know for sure. But as to why he wrote with such large letters, I've talked about this, I'm sure, in the book of Galatians, but we'll go it, um, over it again. Speculation, again, is high. He's writing with large letters, but what appears to be the most logical explanation is that he suffered from eye troubles, which necessitated writing that way, as anyone with bad eyes would be prone to do. Okay, this is substantiated in other passages where Paul's vision was seen to be deficient. Okay, and I'll go through some of that very quickly off the top of my head, so I'm not going to get all of them. I know I've, I'm certain I've said this somewhere in Galatians, or certainly in other epistles, is that uh, he was in the room with the high priest, and he uh, said, um, the Lord will get you, you whitewashed wall. And then they said, how dare you revile God's high priest? And Paul's answer was, um, I didn't know it was God's high priest. And there's a lot of different ways he could have said that. He could have been saying it mockingly. He could have been saying it sincerely, et cetera, et cetera. But he's standing in the room with him, and he didn't know it was God's high priest in one way or another. So that's one possibility. Um, another is that uh, he, if you follow Paul through the book of Acts, he had to be led everywhere. Everywhere he went, there's always somebody with him, meeting him at a boat, they're walking him down to the boat, and you just pay attention to that, and you'll see Paul is always with somebody, so it's quite possible that he had bad eyesight there. And then I do know it was in Galatians, because earlier in Galatians, he was making a point to them, and he says, you know, when I came to you originally, and you were so overwhelmed, and this is all Charlie Gare paraphrase here, but uh, you were so overwhelmed 
that you would have taken your eyes out and given them to me. And it may be a way of saying that I have this deficiency and you would have taken care of it with your own eyes uh, in my place. Then you see all kinds of little clues about this that uh, uh, probably Paul's thorn in the flesh is bad eyesight. And that includes where he says here and elsewhere, uh, it, see how I write with my own hand, which is my uh, signature in all of my uh, epistles. So obviously the large writing is something that he said everywhere, not just in one epistle, but all of them, okay? Um, and then another view, however, is that he wrote with large letters to highlight the importance of the contents of the epistle. It would be like typing everything in an entire epistle in capital letters. And you know that when somebody sends an email and it's all in capital letters, it's very hard on your mind. You see it and it's like somebody's being uh, shouted at or they're shouting at you, yeah. And so, because you can't really see the emotion of what's going on when somebody does that. All you see is capital and it's, it's, it's almost overwhelming. And that could be what he was doing there. I'm writing in these large letters trying to impress upon you that this is that important to me. So that's another possible uh, explanation. It's possible, but the content of the letter itself calls out that it is of the highest importance. So he wouldn't need to write in large letters through the whole epistle in order to highlight something because his emotions coming out in the epistle stand alone as being their own highlight, identifying the, own, the uh, actual importance of the letter. So writing larger then would not, anything, would not add anything of substance to what is said. And so this is something that scholars debate over. It's uh, unknown for sure, but these are some possible options for you, and you can think about it while you're reading the book of Galatians next time and all of his epistles. Because like I say, at the end of the epistles, you'll see him uh, say something like this at times, and you can just kind of reflect on what is Paul trying to tell us. In all, the entire verse is one of present-day mystery and speculation. It's just a short little verse, but there's a lot involved in it. No matter what, it is a note of authentic authentication concerning Paul's authorship. <clears throat> it is further a note of the extremely important nature of the letter. And once again, I said it at the beginning of the letter, and I'm sure I've said it in at least 10 classes since then, is that I absolutely love the book of Galatians because it is so important. It is so relevant to what's going on in the church and, you know, I don't know if this went on all along or not. I have no sure. idea. But it certainly went on in the 1800s with the Seventh-day Adventists, reinserting the law. And so that tells you it's probably something that people have done all along. But it has certainly come back in a huge, huge way since the reestablishment of Israel. And the uh, Jews coming in, and now they are starting to come to Christ, or they're faking it, and they're just, you know, making money off of Christians. And one of the things that they will do is say, well, you need to get back under the law. Whatever their reasoning is, it is of the highest importance that we do not put ourselves under the yoke of bondage, which is called the law of Moses. Okay, That is the most important thing that you can obtain from this epistle. There are a thousand points of doctrine that are included in there. We've gone through them. But to understand that we never, he's writing to, to uh, Gentiles here, we as Gentiles were never under the law of Moses. It never applied to anybody on this planet except the nation of Israel, okay? And these people are coming in and saying you need to observe the law of Moses in order to be saved, and Paul is calling that out. And he, let's go back there just because we're getting to the end of the epistle. We're just going to read 1, 6 through 8, just so you can see the importance of it. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ 
to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. That means he's talking about going back under the law in any way, shape, or form. And then verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Now, obviously, this is any other gospel. Mormonism is another gospel, and it was supposedly from an angel of heaven, okay? It doesn't matter what false gospel you are given. If it's a prosperity gospel, doesn't matter. It is anathema, okay? He says, let him be accursed. And then in verse 9, he finishes up, as we have said before, so I now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. And that is what he's dealing with. And then from there, he explains what he means in this context, which is the Judaizers. And to me, you know, it, it's sad because there are people I know that attend the superior word and I, that watch certain Jewish people that have horrifying doctrine. And they will send me these videos, and I won't even respond to them anymore. But I want you to know, just because somebody is Jewish does not mean that they know proper theology. And you listen to what they're saying, and they sound good on one particular issue, but then they start introducing true heresy under other issues. And it breaks my heart that people can't see that. Just because of the source, it doesn't matter if somebody has a doctor, uh, doctorate of theology in uh, Calvinism or if a person is from this location, or if he reads the Hebrew and Greek in the original, those things make absolutely no difference. If their doctrine is wrong, their doctrine is wrong. We're not to go back and look at source fallacies and genetic fallacies and think these type of things. We need to hold to the word of God and the word of God alone, and guess what? In proper context. As long as you're doing that, you're going to be okay. But once people start introducing, you know, oh, I went to Israel and I uh, was with this guy and he's dreamy and I'm sorry that doesn't dreamy doesn't get it with theology the only thing that gets it with theology is that we hold fast to the word of God okay so 612 those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised okay I'm not done. oh you're not done <laughs> the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted avoid being for the persecuted. cross of Christ. For the cross of Christ. Okay, and the reason why I said okay is because I actually didn't read the life application from the last one. So I'm going to read that. Paul's concern over inserting the law into our life and conduct was so sincere that he took the time to write this letter. In it are many warnings that we are not to fall back on deeds of the law for our justification before God. Christ Jesus fulfilled the law, and the law is now obsolete, and it is annulled. Even if verses like Galatians 6.11 carry high speculation, the overall content of the letter does not. We are saved by grace, and we are to rest in the finished work of Christ. And that is it. He did the work. We can enjoy the grace because of what he did, what God did in him. All right, so uh, 6.12, I'll read mine just so you can see the contrast from what Jim just read. Uh, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh... These would compel you to be circumcised, only that they might not or may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Sounds very close to what you had there. Okay, Paul lays bare the very heart of the matter in this verse that I just read. He clearly and openly displays the intent of the Judaizers and one of the main reasons behind their aberrant teachings. As many, he says, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, speaks of externals. In essence, if I do these external things, people will see and they will nod in satisfaction. 
or even more, if I have this outward appearance, I will seem more holy and more righteous than those around me. It is the same attitude as the hypocrites whose attitude Jesus rebuked in Matthew 6, verse 5. Let me go there just because. What's what are you looking for that? There's, there's something else that, that I think he's saying there, too. Because these are Jews coming in who supposedly already believe the gospel. But okay. They're trying to like put the layer of the, um, uh, the old the law. law back on top of it. And okay. I think that they're just trying, as he says right there, with the... Um, persecuted for the cross of Christ. I haven't gotten to that part yet. No, but okay, go ahead. I'll no, be no, go, ahead. go ahead, keep right. going. Yeah, well, no, I just want to see if you're thinking what I think what the I'm logic thinking. is going is the fact that it's like, okay, I'm tired of getting browbeaten by the Jews. Oh, absolutely. So I'm going to stick with, we're, we're doing the uh, the law, we're doing all the, like, so lay off me, and it's like, okay, no, you can't do that. It's no, like, you, you can't. Know, you, you we'll see. If my, I don't know if my, I wrote this so long ago, I have yeah, no idea if right. my, but that's absolutely correct. Okay, Matthew 6, 5 says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray. This is the externals that they are, you know, uh, uh, standing on. Uh, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. And that takes you right to Israel of today. These guys go down to the Western Wall and they stand there for everybody to see. And they, make the, they keep bowing and they keep reading and they're just doing all this stuff in front of the Western Wall. They have not called on God. Most of them don't live lives that are even close to righteous, but they are doing everything in an outward show for people to say. And Sergio said, which may be surprising to many of you, they don't even know what they're reading. They're just standing there and reading this, and they have no idea what they're reading, and they're just standing there and reading, and they want everybody to see them, and that is what Jesus is talking about right there. And nothing has changed in 2,000 years. They still do the same thing, and they are no closer to God than if they were you know, buried 5,000 feet in a tunnel and secreted in and, you know, they're just no closer because their heart is not with the Lord. And until it is, all of that external show means nothing. All okay. those guys are dressed alike with those hats. And Absolutely, beards. dressed alike. I, I wouldn't know them apart if I'm Oh, I know. Street. Yeah, well, <laughs> people with beards are a little more distinguished than other people. I, <laughs> they're suspicious looking. Yeah, they're suspicious looking. Um, my, dad, my dad was under the uh, conviction years and years ago, he said to me that people that have a beard generally have something to hide. Okay, and he said, if you look at the Vietnam veterans, they were ashamed of having fought in the war, and many of them had beards. And he said, this is something that people that have something in their lives that they want to hide behind will have a beard. And I've always had a beard, but I'm going to tell you, I don't know if I agree with that anymore. And the reason why is because since COVID-19, I'm the only person in the store that doesn't wear a beard. Everybody knows who I am. Hey, Charlie. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, a mask. I said a beard. I meant a mask. Thank you. Yeah, everybody. Everybody's got their face, and they're all hiding behind it like they're ashamed of something. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to do that. I, I just love having a beard. It's like having a pillow I can sleep on at night, and I can play with it during the day. And I mean, it's so, and, you know, whatever. But I just don't know if I any longer agree with that, although it may be true. I may still be hiding behind it, you know. Um, but Hidako loves it, and as long as she wants me to have this thing, I'm going to have it. But How is your dad? Uh, dad's fine. He's, yeah. Oh, that's place. okay. Anna's down right now. Oh, so, yep. Okay. Um, catch it in the, the drill. Yeah, you, you can get your beard caught in a drill and have it pulled right off your face. That's if you want to see the results of that, go back and watch the early Genesis sermons while we're out on the beach, and you'll see me with a beard. And then all of a sudden, the next <laughs> no, Sunday, you see no beard. All you see is a guy with mutton chops, and I did right. not shave. 
I got stuck in a uh, hammer drill and it pulled it right off my face. It was the fastest shave in the history of the world. Less than one three hundredth of a second and I had a beard and then I didn't have a beard. Everyone so, thought you were trying to look like Dwayne Allman. Yeah, I was trying to look like the Allman Brothers. That's right, <laughs> Dwayne Allman. So, all right, let's see. Um, uh, yeah, it came right off and boy, there was it was kind of bloody there for a day and then it was the smoothest skin you've ever Ever, I, I mean, I don't remember my my children, you know, when they were born, being that that soft. Just you had a waxing. I, it was I had a waxing. That's wow. Okay, but it was a fast one. Okay, so where were we? Um, yeah, externals of these people. Uh, okay, the external prayers of these people that I just read you from Matthew was to draw attention to themselves. The same is true with the Judaizers. In turn, they compelled those in Galatia, as it says, to be circumcised. Paul has shown that circumcision in the flesh means nothing. Christ fulfilled that type and picture, and thus it no longer applies to the people of God. And yet, because they were circumcised, they tried to make it a point of personal righteousness to the Galatians. It was, as the scholar Ellicott notes, you know, somebody just emailed me a day ago, and he said, well, Ellicott was an Anglican minister. I have no idea. And I was thinking about that afterward is because normally if I saw somebody was an Anglican, I just reject them completely. And I'm glad I don't because Ellicott's got great, great insights. I don't always agree with him, especially in the Old Testament commentaries, but even there he's got wonderful insights. But I didn't know that until just a day ago. Um, it was the scholar Ellicott. Uh, he says, to wear a specious exterior in the earthly, unspiritual element, element in which they move. Paul is using circumcision as a representative of any deeds of the law. Therefore, the same thought follows through with the Sabbath observance, observing the feasts of the Lord, wearing certain garments, conducting service in Hebrew, not eating certain foods banned under the law, and on and on and on and on. All of these externals are all fulfilled in Christ. They are set aside and no, are no longer required. doesn't matter what precept you pull out from the law of Moses and you say, I'm going to do this and this is going to be a show. It's something that it, it doesn't serve any purpose at all except to make somebody look better than somebody else or more holy than somebody else or whatever. So in demanding this of the Gentiles, this is the Judaizers coming in, it then allowed them control over the Gentiles. They became the standard, not Christ. This sad, twisted thinking is still realized today, and rare it is in the Hebrew Roots movement and in many independent messianic synagogues. And unfortunately, so many are brought under this aberrant teaching to their own detriment. And I'm not saying that all messianic synagogues are bad. That's not the case. But there are so many of them out there that cling to the ways of Torah observance to the point where you cannot find any grace in Christ at all in that church. Zero. And that, that's something that absolutely should not be. If you want to observe your own tradition, your own culture, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that, okay? Nobody says that you can't observe a Mother's Day or, you know, whatever you do throughout the year. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. There's nothing that says it's wrong or right or whatever. It's just what we do. Um, you know, I was thinking about that today, is that uh, Adam and Eve got married. We're going to say they were married. The Lord put them together, and there was a certain day when they came together as a man and a woman, okay? Is there anything recorded about their life together after that? No. Nothing. There's no, did they serve, did they have a wedding anniversary? Probably, just like we do. Oh, it's that time of year when we first, you know, when 
we first came together and started, you know, whatever. You know, the Lord took you out of my side and, you know, he brought us together. Who wouldn't remember that? And so we have times that we will honor each other through that. We might do it, like I said, Mother's Day. That's a made-up holiday, I think, but maybe, I don't know. I don't know where it comes from, but uh, uh, we do that to honor Hallmark. a mother. Or a what? Hallmark. Yeah, Hallmark. Yeah, Hallmark probably started. That's right. Or, you know, we have our birthdays. And if you're a Jehovah's Witness, a Jehovah's Witness, they won't observe a birthday. Does anybody know why the Jehovah's Witnesses don't Every observe? Every time a, a birthday is mentioned in the Bible, somebody dies. Okay, yeah, they say that's basically it. That, well, birthday, I, if there's a birthday mentioned in the Bible, it's a bad thing, okay? Not and, always. Well, that's that's their logic. That's what I was told when they came in and talked to me over at the uh, the store. They said, yeah, it's always something bad about the birthday. And I thought, oh, what a stupid argument. That's basically an argument from silence because you got a, you got Herod's birthday is observed. You got um, the only other one that's observed is uh, what's his name, um, uh, Pharaoh. Okay. What about and, Job? Uh, Job. His day. Well, yeah, but that's not his birthday. That's it speaks of the day of his birth, but it's not a birthday. In other words, an observance. No, right, right. Okay, Jeremiah as well. So, but you know, it'll mention the day of a person's birth, but that's not an observance. But the observance is Pharaoh and Herod, I think. And it, it's a stupid argument. But people get caught up in, in very small-minded things, and they get legalistic about things that they should not be legalistic about. And what that does is it puts a barrier up, you know, among people, among Christians, over things. They divide over things that have almost no reason at all to divide over. And that's and, strictly control. Oh, that's all it is. That's it, all it, it that's, is control. It's like, you know, you're having fun because of something of you. No, yeah, it's like you no, that's right. That's exactly what, you know, I'll give you an example. I, I think I've said this in a class before, but when I was in the uh, Southern Evangelical Seminary, one of my professors, uh, he had a friend that grew up and all he could think about was baseball. That was his life. He, he was a baseball guy. And that's all he thought about. He knew every stat of every team and he had his favorites and blah, 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 blah. And finally he came to Christ. And when he did, he got rid of baseball because it was an idol to him. It was all he could think about, okay? And my professor, I won't give his name, but he was going out with another guy to a baseball game. And the guy, their friend that used to be Mr. Baseball said, what are you doing? Why would you go to a baseball game? How could you do that? Okay. Well, that's your hang up. That's not my hang up. Mm -hmm. That has nothing to do with me, right? There's nothing wrong with going to a baseball game, but people get little pet peeves into their head and I think, you know, probably what it is, uh, other than saying I'm better than you or I'm more spiritual than you or I'm more holy than you, is that people will always find a reason to not come to church. They will find a reason to not fellowship with other people. Sure. They're going to find some small little pet peeve and they're going to hold that up as the premier example of why I just can't find the right fellowship. And, you know, very sorry for people like that, but that, that seems to be a, a, uh, a pattern. And as you said, this is kind of what you're seeing with them. We're going to impose our standard on you, and Christ is no longer the standard. This sad, twisted thinking is still realized, I said, in the Hebrew Roots movement, but Paul explains why these Judaizers still follow the customs, traditions, and precepts of the law. He says it is so that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. This is the heart of the matter. They can claim to be law-observant Jews while claiming to be followers of Christ. The two are contradictory and they are mutually exclusive. You cannot be a law-observing Jew and a follower of Jesus Christ. 
that's made absolutely explicit in the Bible, especially in the book of Hebrews, but it's all the way through the Bible, the New Testament writings, is that when you come to Christ, you are a new creation. You're no longer bound by these precepts. Once again, that does not mean that Jews shouldn't observe their cultural, you know, Jews that observe the Passover do so because they've been doing it for 2,000 or 3,000 years, right? 3,500 years. That's a cultural thing that they are doing. If they go imposing it on you, that becomes problematic. Jews are circumcised, and that is a sign of their culture, okay? And there's nothing wrong with that. But when you take something and you start imposing it on others, especially when it's required by the law of Moses only and no other place, that is where Paul draws the line, okay? Cultural things, Paul doesn't deal with that. You know what? There are cultures all around the world that do very bizarre things. I've been in some of them. You've been in a lot of them. She's over there laughing right now. Listen, that is their culture, okay? As long as it's not contradictory to the Word of God, you got to let it go. You cannot go in there and tell those people, well, you shouldn't be doing this or that or one thing or another. That's, that's their culture. That is what they do, and if it is not in conflict with the Word, you just let them live their lives, okay? So, uh, let's see here. He says, it is so they may not suffer for the, heart, the uh, cross of Christ. They claim to be law-observant Jews while claiming to be followers of Christ. If one is a follower of Christ, he is not an observer of the law which Christ fulfilled. Instead, he follows Christ who embodies that law. That's the reason why Jesus came, was to fulfill what Israel could not fulfill. The law was a tutor. Life under the law was a tutor. All of the things that happened in the Old Testament during the time of the Old Covenant, all of it is to point the people of Israel and the people of the world to Jesus Christ. And the cross is where it ends. Everything about the law is it finds its fulfillment and it finds its end at the cross of Jesus Christ. And if we can't understand that one precept, we will never be right with the Lord. We will never have a sound walk with him. And it will always come back to self. Always. It will never come back to Jesus did these things. I'm grateful for it. And I'm not going to try to override what he did. Instead, I appreciate what he did. It was a good job. And I'm going to do better. I'm going to prove to God that I can do more than his son. And it's a terrible slap in the face. Life application. Follow Christ. Nothing else. Okay, 613. Uh, when you said Adam and Eve. Yes. Uh, Adam was always ribbing her about that. Yes, he was. He said that Adam was always ribbing her about that. <laughs> Very good. All right. Painkiller talking. Painkiller. Okay, go ahead, 13. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. Okay, that's this one says boast in your flesh, but it's almost identical other than that. And that really is the truth. I'll read it again. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law. That's obvious. That is as obvious as the nose on somebody's face when you read the Old Testament. There's not a person on this planet that ever kept the law because if he did, he would never have died. He would have just kept on living because the man who does these things will live by them. Okay, Leviticus 18.5, I think. So it is something that we need to remember is that, you know, I see Hedico snuck in. When did you get here? She <laughs> was. She's been here. She, oh, yeah, I'm sure she was. That? Oh, okay, she's been here ever since before we started. Wow, there she is, <laughs> hiding, almost hiding. 
I never saw you come in. Wow. You were stroking your beard. Oh, she, you know what? She probably did. She probably was looking when I was reading like this and opened the door real quietly and crawled in here. So I, anyway, okay. Well, I, I did abuse her a little bit, but nothing, nothing like I usually like to do. I hope mom's okay. She's not here. And she usually tells she me. She knows which, better now. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> Okay, um, let's see here. First, yeah, they have parking here is a premium this time of year. I'm going to tell you what that is. I went to get um, uh, Thai food for lunch today, and I drove all the way down uh, Gulf Gate Drive, all the way down. There wasn't one parking space, so I drove around and parked in the back and just walked in the back door because. Of course you did. Yeah, I just. Uh, hey, when you got to have Thai, you got to have Thai. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Six thirteen. Let's see here. This is the second reason that as. You said the meat. We got the lettuce. Well, here's the meat. This is the second reason that the Judaizers insisted on circumcision. The first was so that they wouldn't have to suffer persecution. By continuing to practice deeds of the law, they wouldn't be faced with rejection by those who held only to the law. They could say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm also a follower, I'm also a follower of Moses. The Moses part would then gloss over the offensive Jesus part and save them from being persecuted. The second reason is now given. He first says, for not even those who are circumcised keep the law. This is specifically speaking of the Judaizers who claim they are followers of Jesus, but the premise holds true with anyone under the law. Mm -hmm. Paul clearly shows in the book of Romans that no one, no person is able to keep the law. This is the reason why there was an annual uh, day, of, day atonement. of atonement. Annual day of atonement is because nobody made it through the year without offending God. And actually, if they thought about their actions at the end of every day before they went to bed, they'd say, I really can't wait for the day of atonement because, you know, uh, it was eight minutes ago and it's a new day, but I really need that atonement again. Anyone who did not observe the day of atonement was to be cut off from the people. This is because no one ever met the law, even for a single year of his or her life. Thus, it demonstrates that even the Judaizers who demanded that the Gentiles be circumcised did not keep the law. And so their demanding circumcision in the Gentiles wasn't at all for what they claimed. They had a completely different reason. They're telling them one thing, but it's a completely different reason. Rather, it was because they, as Paul says, desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. Boasting in the flesh means works. Works are contrary to grace. Therefore, they are boasting in doing what Christ was implicitly unable to do. That's what it comes down to. We're doing more than Christ Jesus did. We will save ourselves. Okay, I'm better than God. God messed up. I'm going to add to it. To them, if Christ can't save by grace alone, then their idea is that it is just like Roman Catholicism, grace plus works. For these people, the cross is insufficient. God failed, they need to overcome God's deficiencies. It is that simple. Anyone who insists or even implies that we need to do the things from the law of Moses in order to be pleasing to God has rejected the grace of Christ. In our walk, it is all Christ or it is a rejection of Christ, and there can be no fellowship between the two. You are either completely in Christ, you are going to follow him to the very end, and you're going to trust in him without any works of the law, or you're going to say, I will do works of the law, and it doesn't matter which one or how many or how long you do them, you will never satisfy God through.
through your efforts. It will never happen. It's all Christ. That's it. And I just said it, and here it is. Roman Catholicism is similar to the teachings of the Judaizers in that they say works are necessary because of justification. By the great, by grace alone is in, I'm sorry, yes. Uh, they say works are necessary because justification by grace alone is insufficient to save. Somebody asked me about that. Was that you? Uh, ah, I thought it was at mission work this week. Somebody was talking to me about it in uh, the Council of Trent. And, oh, I've got one of them right here. Um, wait a minute. Um, okay, this is found in the canons of the Council of Trent. One of several such canons is Canon 9. There's a, about eight or nine of them that we'll call Paul anathema, and a couple of them will actually say what Jesus did is anathema. So I'm telling you, when I said a couple weeks ago that I believe that the Roman Catholic Church stopped being a Christian entity at Trent, I meant it. Okay, that does not mean there aren't saved people in the Catholic Church, but as a body which is to lead people to Christ, they cannot effectively do it with this doctrine. Here, listen to what it says. Okay, it's Old English, but if anyone saith, okay, so I'll have to paraphrase so you understand. If Jim says that faith alone, or I'm sorry, that by faith alone, the impious is justified. In other words, there's a sinner, and if Jim says that that sinner is saved by faith alone, Okay, everybody got that? If anyone saith that by faith alone the impious is justified, in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to the obtaining of the grace of justification. In other words, if Jim says that that guy is saved by faith alone and he needs nothing else in order to be saved, there's nothing else he needs to cooperate. And there's your operable word right there is cooperate. And that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will, let him be anathema. Okay? that Right there. They're saying that grace, the justification by grace through faith alone is anathema. anathema. And anybody that says that is anathema. Yeah. So according to the Roman Catholic Church, what I'm teaching right now is anathema, and I couldn't care diddly. I could not care at all what they think because they are heretics heretics the whole lot of them that came up with those canons in the council of trent and if you want to read them just it's like i said it's this old english it's just hard to read but go to just type in the can canons of the council of trent and read through the first 10 or 12 of them and you'll get the picture this is just one of them right here read it again if anyone saith that by faith alone the impious is justified in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to the obtaining of the grace of justification, and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will, let him be anathema. I am in the process of earning my salvation, and then the faith kicks in, and I'm saved, or something like that, okay? Whatever is going on in their minds at that time, this is heresy. One cannot cooperate in grace. Reject this stupid heretical stuff. Okay, life application, cling to the cross of Christ. Okay, 614. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Oh, wonderful words. Oh, my goodness. You know, just wonderful. The emphasis of the Greek in this verse is in the word I. Paul had just said, for not even those who are circumcised keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. 
he now contrasts himself to these false teachers. They boasted in the flesh of those they misled. Paul boasted in Christ's cross. They boasted in that which only leads to death, from death to death. He boasted in that which leads from death to life. They boasted in that which was carnal. He boasts in that which is spiritual. His words then reflect the very heart of God's redemptive plans for man. In man, there is sin, there is separation, and there is death. In Christ, there is freedom from sin, adoption as sons of God, and eternal life. There is no other place that anyone should ever make the boasting of their religious life, because only, only in the cross of Jesus Christ is there any true hope. A question arises as to which it is that Paul is speaking of, through uh, uh, speaking of though in his boasting is it the cross or is it in the lord jesus christ in other words should we read this by whom or by which the greek allows for either and so one must refer to the previous verse to really make the proper deduction the judaizers had boasted in the flesh based on circumcision it was there where their boast lay Therefore, as a contrast to that, Paul introduces his boast, which is the cross based on crucifixion. Therefore, the term by which or through which is a better rendering of this verse. It is the cross of Christ, meaning his work, which we boast in. This in no way diminishes the glory of Christ, but it rather highlights it. When we say, my son got straight A's, we are boasting in his accomplishment. And yet, at the same time, we are highlighting the Son. Had Christ not suffered and died on the cross, there would be no point of boasting. However, the cross is the instrument of his victory. It is that instrument by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We are dead to sin because our sin has been nailed to the cross. That's Colossians, anybody? 2.14. 2.14. The law which stood against us is no longer in effect because it is Christ who is nailed to the cross. And it is Christ who embodies the law. The boast is in the act. The highlight is on the Son. Charles Ellicott eloquently describes the matter. He says, The apostle is aware that in this he is putting forward a startling paradox. The cross of Christ was to the Jews a stumbling block. They attached to it only ideas of ignominy and shame. And yet it is precisely this of which the apostle is most proud. He is proud of it as the ground of his salvation and therefore as the cardinal object of all of his hopes and aims. The term the world that he uses here is speaking of the carnal world of the flesh. This is the very thing that the Judaizers boasted in, but such things are ended in Christ's cross. They are no longer able to trap us and tempt us if we have our focus on Christ. Instead, we are dead to the world through life in the Spirit. Praise God for the cross of Jesus Christ. Life application, memorize this verse. Okay. You know, you mentioned Ellicott. I think of J.I. Packer. He was the Church of England, too. Okay. And he, you know, was so upset about how they're going. He says, my, my church has, has gone off the rails. But all of them. All the churches and, and in England. J. Just... Vernon McGee, Presbyterian, he said, my church has gone off the rails. Yep. But these guys, even though they were from Presbyterian or the, the uh, Church of England, of England Anglican. You know, had 
good, good, solid teaching sure. and, and pre preaching. Yeah, and you'll find him even today. You'll find some good preachers in. Yeah, well, R.C. Sproul. I mean, despite some of his goofy theology, he was a very good teacher of the Bible and a great teacher on apologetics. But you know, the Presbyterian Church in general, I mean, is just going right down the tubes. Okay, so you'll find good people in there, and I, you know. I don't understand why people want to stay in a bad denomination. I, I've never understood that. But some people think that I'm going to stay and I'm going to make a change, or they're not going to make a change. No. I'm telling you, that denomination is going to continue to go down, and they're just going to be the laughing stock of it. And if they can handle that, more power to them. You know? And if they can lead a congregation in the process and keep them from— because those people are not going to leave, say, the Methodist Church. I'm a Methodist preacher, right? And I'm, in, I'm a good Methodist preacher. I preach grace. I pe preach the cross of Christ. And my congregation, if I leave, is not going to come with me. The, the chances of that happening are very small. And what's going to happen? The next guy's going to come in, and he's going to just take him right down the wrong path, and that church will be lost. Okay. Now, there are times, and we've seen this in the past few years, where you have a Methodist church, and what happens is they will vote to leave the Methodist denomination and become an independent church. They've got to buy the property and, you know, whatever procedures they have to, but they actually understand we can no longer make a change within this denomination. He's giving up on his retirement and all of that other stuff. He doesn't care, and they get out of there, and the church stays sound. But I got to tell you what, it's just it's so hard to find churches like that that are willing to stick through with good doctrine when there's all of these... I had, well, I had a conversation with somebody in the Methodist Church a couple days ago, and I was appalled at what's going on. I, I was just literally appalled. Anyway, I, I don't know why anybody would stay in a denomination like that, but anyway, uh, do we have time? We got six. We're not going to finish. Whatever. Yeah, it, unfortunately, we've only got. Uh, uh, we're on four. 15, 15 we 16, got, 17, 18. Well, we can try. I, we, okay. It's four pages long. I don't think we're going to make it. I, I really, there's just no way. There's just no way we're going to finish it. Um, what we should probably do is, because this streaming, I don't know what's going to happen with the streaming when I get home. I'm sure it's going to be okay, but um, uh, rather than, we'll, we'll have four verses to do next week, and I'm sure we can make a class out of that. So instead of doing another verse, we'll get another 10 minutes, and uh, what's on somebody's mind that needs to be addressed? I don't know. We'll, we'll go with that. Anything? I just don't want to, I don't want to stop with one verse to go. <laughs> that would be a pointless class next week. That would That's be absolutely pointless. Um, something from Galatians, something that uh, uh, we said in the sermon that you didn't like, or I don't well, know, whatever. So, so, so what's your, you, you love Galatians. So, I love Galatians. So it's all downhill from here? Or do you no, like no, 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 not at all. Every book has got its own special focus. This one is what I enjoy the focus. Right. You know, I absolutely enjoy the focus of it. Um, you know, we could talk about because... A lot of people are not reading the Revelation commentary. And so, you know, people are always emailing me about Enoch and Elijah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I, or, or who are the two witnesses? Not even Enoch and Elijah. They email about the two witnesses. We'll talk about that for just a couple minutes. Just to, uh, because of the people that aren't reading the Revelation commentary. Um, uh, we just got to the two witnesses in the Revelation commentary. And people are always asking, who are they? And... You know, I, I'm not going to remember everything I said in those commentaries because they're long and they're... But uh, one of the things that uh, people will say is it's Moses and Elijah, right. okay? And the reason why is because Moses and Elijah were both on the Mount of Beatitudes, or I'm sorry, not the Mount of Beatitudes, the, yeah, the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And so they say, well, see, then that's the two witnesses. And they further say that uh, Moses 
was the one that did all of the the miracles and the signs and the wonders that were kind of like what were coming with the two witnesses. Uh, that's kind of faulty thinking, and uh, I, I would shut that down with saying that any prophet can do any of those things if they have the power of the Lord and the the uh, you know the authority to do so. Even the apostles, John, and you want us to bring fire down on these people, right? Okay, so they knew that if the Lord said that it could happen, they could do it. So that's kind of not a good argument there. Uh, the one argument that it is not Moses, and people always email me after this, and they say, well, you know, and they make an exception, and they say something that is not biblical. The reason why it cannot be Moses is because Moses died. It is recorded in the Bible right there. He was buried. The Lord buried him, and nobody else knows where that is. It cannot be Moses. It is appointed for man to, uh, to once to die, and then the judgment, okay? It's not him returning to die a second time, okay? Um, Another thing is that the Mount of Transfiguration was making several theological points. Uh, one of them was that it, Jesus is the sum of the law and the prophets. So you have uh, Elijah would, or Moses would be the law and Elijah would be the prophets. Okay, that's kind of a good argument, but more uh, to the point is that he is the one who has authority over the living and the dead because Elijah. It, was taken to heaven and is still alive whereas Moses had died and both of them are there okay so we know that he has complete authority over the law and the prophets and living in the dead it is not Moses okay um, uh, another one that I have heard it's somebody that I never heard it until he came to this church and he said oh it's John the Baptist okay um, it's uh, Elijah and John the Baptist I'm sorry not John the Baptist um, John the gospel writer and the reason why is because it says Jesus turned around and said um, Peter says, well, what about this guy? And I said John the Baptist. I meant John the Gospel writer. So don't put that in your head, John the Baptist. Anyway, um, what about this guy? And he says, if I want him to live until I come, what is that to you? Okay, that's not a good argument. He was making a point to Peter about Peter. He wasn't saying anything about John, and John even qualifies that saying exactly that. doesn't say he's going to live forever. It says that he redirects it back well, to where it belonged. Wouldn't he, writing Revelation, say, and there I stood. Yeah, absolutely. That's another argument. It's an argument from silence, but it is an argument, is that he doesn't include himself, and he talks about the two witnesses. Acknowledge, yes, absolutely. Okay, uh, so it's it definitely not him. And another more pertinent reason why it is not John, the writer of the gospel, is because the two witnesses are already seen in Zechariah, I think it's chapter 4. John was not alive in Zechariah chapter 4. He wasn't even a, a, a dream in his great-great-great-grandfather's eyes, okay, or however many generations. I just made that up, okay, so don't, don't quote me great-great-great. But anyway, I think it's Zechariah chapter 4, and it says right here, um, you know, and I could be wrong on who I think it is, but it's not these people is the point I'm making. Okay, it says here, um, uh, grace, grace, uh, yeah. Um, so I said, I'm looking, and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it, and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. So I answered and spoke uh, to the angel who talked with me, saying, what are these, my Lord? And it goes down a while, and then uh, towards the bottom it says, in verse 11, then I answered and said to him, what are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and at its left. Then I further answered and said to him, what are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? 
Then he answered me and said, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. So he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. And the same terminology is used by John to say these are the two witnesses in Revelation 11. So it's not John because John wasn't alive at that time, okay? And it wasn't something future. It was saying that this is what he's saying right then and there, okay? And they stand before the Lord of the whole earth. So... There are only two people that never died in the Old Testament. And there's a reason why those are recorded. I mean, it doesn't really say anything about them, why they were taken up, but they are standing there before the Lord. And it is my view that it is Enoch and Elijah. Enoch was taken. Elijah was taken. They're serving the Lord. They didn't die. So they're obviously not sitting on a cloud strumming on a harp or something. Okay. So they're logically that. But then there's one more place where if you go to the book of Daniel, and it's, it, it, there's this curious passage in there which gets read over very quickly. And it says, um, uh, Daniel chapter 12, and it says, Then I, Daniel, looked, this is verse 5, and there stood two others. There, you got the Lord there. He's standing above the river, okay? There are two others, one on this river bank and the other on that river bank. And one said to the man clothed in lemon, linen, who was above the waters, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? The one above the water is generally accepted as Christ, okay? I think almost any scholar will admit that unless you're a Jehovah's Witness, okay? But he's above the waters, and then you have one on one side of the waters and one on the other side of the water. And why would that even be put in there? What difference does it make unless he is telling us something? If you go back to what the name or the word Hebrew means, it means he who crosses over. And so it's making a picture. One is not a Hebrew and the other is. One is on one side of the waters, the other is on the other side, and the Lord is in the middle. And there they are serving the Lord, okay? And I would even be willing to venture that the two witnesses, and I may not have published this commentary yet, so I'm giving you a little more than I probably should if I haven't published. I can't remember where we are this morning. But I would be willing to bet that the two witnesses were the guy standing there with him at the ascension. So they were there. Right then, Enoch and Elijah, as he ascended into heaven. Now, I could be completely wrong on that, but I would guess that they're the ones that have been serving the Lord for all this time, and there's a reason for it. It's that they are going to come back, and they're going to fulfill their purpose in redemptive history by witnessing to the people of what they know. Since the beginning of the world and since the time of the law, they are going to witness, and they're going to say that you need Jesus and then they're going to be martyred, and then they're going to be brought back to life and raptured up to heaven, okay? So that's my view on that. I could be completely wrong, and I'm not here to argue with people over it, but I can tell you what is incorrect, all right? I try to always give options of the, you know, this could be and this could be because it's future. All of this stuff is future, and people that get dogmatic about this kind of stuff are just barking up the wrong tree, okay? What you want to do is you want to have, uh, uh, Burke is over there laughing, I think. Anyway, um, I was making a pun, dogmatic barking, okay? Got it, Yeah, Got okay. It. Anyway, um, uh, so the point is that there are certain people it will not be. It is not Moses, and it is not John the Baptist. It's also not the two testaments of the Bible, because the two testaments are not going to get killed and then brought back to life, <laughs> all right? And then some people say that it's just representative of Jew and Gentile and et cetera. It, these are real people that are coming back. They're really going to be at the temple. So you said John the Baptist again. I gotta stop saying John the Baptist. If I say that again, I want you to punch me after class right in the face, really hard. Okay? Yeah. I, I mean John the Gospel writer. I don't know why I keep doing that. It's just stuck in my head. 
Anyway, that's what I think, and uh, so that gets it out of the way for the people that are not reading the Revelation commentary. But tell them where to find it, though. Uh, well, it's right there on the Superior Word um, uh, website. You just go to today, and you read. But if you miss that, then you got to go back to the archives. You got to go to writings, and then it'll drop down Revelation. You go to Revelation, you got to scroll through all of them. Eventually, when they're all done, then they'll be in one big PDF file, and you can sit and read all you want, copy. You can ignore the things you think are wrong, whatever. But uh, uh, that's where you would go for that. But we'll go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. We'll close a little early just in case something needs to be done. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the chance to meet in this class and uh, for the book of Galatians. And uh, it's exciting to think that we'll be done next week unless you come sooner, which would be even better. But we'll leave that in your capable hands as to when you're going to come for your people. And until then, we would ask that you would help us to be responsible in our theology careful with how we conduct our lives and always willing to share the gospel of Christ and the right gospel, the one that says that you did the work, that we receive what is done. It is grace and that we will rest in that and we will trust in that and we will not even consider the fact that one can lose his salvation because then that means that our seal is not a guarantee and you've said it is a guarantee. So we're thankful for your faithfulness even in our times of unfaithfulness. May you be glorified in our hearts and in our lives all the days of our lives and we pray this in jesus name amen okay good stuff now i'm going to try because we're not in any rush i'm going to see if i can figure out how to shut off this live stream if i can't do it okay then uh that means i'm going to have to shut off my ipad so we're going to see if we can do this right now um i'm going to push the three buttons share highlight see he said that there's a button that just says um, I wonder if I hit the... I'm going to say goodbye to all of you now in case I hit something. Love you guys. Have a wonderful evening. I see all of you saying hi and all that. Have a great night and we love you. Okay? Bye-bye. I'm going to put that and see what happens. Are you streaming? Yes! It's going to work. Cancel and...